Hey guys, Eric from Working Dog Radio. I want to talk to you about one of my favorites, and that is Dogtra. I've been using Dogtra collars for a long time, way before they became a sponsor of the podcast. The Police Canine Association, we've been using them, and that's all we use. Uh, we've been vendors for a while now, but we've been users of Dogtra collars way before we became vendors. At my kennel, I have a drawer full of them. I have the 1900S e collars, and I got a bunch of 600 bark collars. I like it nice and quiet. My kennel and those bark collars work perfectly. But Dogtra is not just sitting back doing nothing. They're out there uh, innovative designs, coming up with new stuff. And in May, they launched three new products. All right. They uh, sent them to Ted and I, and we get to test them. I cannot wait. This is the coolest part of my job here. Now I want to talk to you about the one that I'm going to try, and that's the Pathfinder. It's a GPS tracking and training collar where no cellular is required. There's free detailed satellite and terrain views from Google Maps, along with an offline maps mode. Easy location sharing for dogs and dog owners. History playback on your smartphone and computer. And custom alerts for dog actions using pop-ups, sound, and vibration. I have two brand new dogs in my kennel. I just Started introducing them, tracking a couple days ago, and I can't wait to get them out and get longer and try these things out. Bird dog guys, trial dog guys, these things are perfect for you guys. Um, check them out, man. They're not waiting on us. They got them out there because they are proven with their stuff. Give them a call, 888-811-9111. Dogtra. Let me hop in here and talk about our one of our sponsors for the podcast, Southern Coast Canine, based out in New Smyrna, Florida. Southern Coast Canine has been providing better training, better results, and better dogs for over 25 years. Led by Bill Heiser and known for their excellent high-drive dual-purpose and detection dogs and outstanding customer service. They have what you want and what you are looking for. Call 1-877-903-DOGS. That's 877-903-3647 and speak with Bill and to discuss your canine needs today. Or visit southerncoastcanine.com. That's the letter K, the number nine. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram at southerncoastcanine, the letter K, the number nine. Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. All right, we are back again after the July month of the Ladies of Canine. We have a regular show tonight. Um, we're going to go through everything else first, and then we'll talk about the guests, see what's going on. So, Eric, what's up? Uh, I'm burning the candle at both ends, man. I am, uh, you know, I started, the, I added the pet side in to the, uh, the business, uh, leased a building since we've started, since we did the ladies of canine episodes, I leased a building for that. I already have one for the, for the police side, uh, leased a building for the daycare and the pet board and trains hired a, a person, a couple people. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, so my day consists usually of, um, 4:45 in the morning. I, I'm up. I go to the gym. 
Then I head to my new building, drop dogs off. And then I go to my day job at the police department, train dogs there, get off at three, go back over to my other building and train dogs there. And usually I'm home around 1030 at night. Um, it's, uh, yeah, super busy, insane. Are you still, are you off vacation now? Um, I, uh, I took half a day today. I'm taking days tomorrow because <laughs> I'm behind on some dogs. So I, I right. gotta, I gotta use, um, I cannot, I, I gotta tell you, I cannot wait for Wednesday and Thursday to relax a little bit. Um, this will air afterwards, but, uh, Ted and I are, uh, <clears throat> going to Texas to do Mike Ritland's podcast. And by the time this airs, we'll have already aired on there. And I'm really looking forward to relaxing for a day or two because I, I really don't even know what that feels like. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what. So we're going to go down to Cooper and record for Mic Drop. Um, and it's uh, it's going to be interesting because Mike likes steak and like super good whiskey. So I... Uh, <laughs> mm. I don't I don't know how things are going to turn out. <laughs> we've yeah. been uh, we've been busy here. It's been hot as shit in Oklahoma, and I mean like Africa hotter, hotter than Africa. I mean, I saw one of the heat indexes the other day. It was like 126 degrees. It's been fucking awful. We got three green dogs in, and actually we got four in. The fourth one that came in is a little bit older. You know, he's in the late 20 months range, um, and he's already got a home and this big old duchy. And I got him out of the box when he got here and he almost melted. I mean, he, I stuck him in our indoor outdoor air conditioning kennel. And he was like, he wouldn't come out. He wouldn't come out of the, out of the indoor. And I was like, what the fuck's wrong with this dog? And Scott was like, Oh, he's probably hot. I'm like, no, but he would come out from inside. Like I'd go inside and let him out. He'd come yeah. out, but he would not go outside. He was like, man, the fuck, they shipped me to hell. Like, what is this about? Yeah. Man, he's, he's acclimated a little bit. We're picking up, uh, I'm sending Alicia down to Houston to pick up, uh, Two more dogs on Monday. Yeah, Monday. We got two more dogs coming in for some department. So I'm sure it's going to be a likely deal with them, although it's taking cool down. So speaking of Oklahoma, um, our two guests tonight, uh, or well, our main guest tonight is Daryl Wilkerson. Uh, Daryl's a search and rescue guy uh, working for Ground Zero uh, in Oklahoma City, or in the Oklahoma City area. Daryl, how are you? I'm great, man. How are you? We're doing well. We're doing well. Uh, so, you know, before we get started, why don't you go ahead and give us a little bit of your background, um, how you got into canine, how you got into the dog side of things, and we'll take it from there. Absolutely, man. Uh, and just to reiterate what you were talking about, the heat last week, uh, you're right. It was crazy. <laughs> and I actually had a handler in here from Utah doing her handler's course, and uh, I think she was probably like that dusty that you had. She was uh, She was melting. It, was, it, was, it, it, get, it gets hot in Utah. I've been there. They have a fucking desert, and you know, people are like, "Oh, it's a it's a dry heat." And I'm like, "Yeah, like an oven." Just wait till you get here. <laughs> exactly. So, a little bit about me. It all started uh, in a little bitty single room farmhouse. No, wait, wrong song, wrong story. Right, right. Um, <laughs> it. Uh, I was born and raised in uh, East Tennessee area, uh, right outside Knoxville. Uh, grew up there. Uh, you know, spent most of my life there, joined the Navy, uh, traveled to seas, seen the world, came back um, and become a full-time firefighter for my hometown. And that's really when I got into the um, the search and rescue dogs. I'd always had dogs and I always worked with dogs, but they were just my pets. You know, I just taught them to do silly pet tricks and things like that. When I really got into the 
to the fire department or the fire rescue side is when I really got interested in, in how dogs uh, learn and, and what they were doing, you know, just on the search and rescue side itself. Uh, and I kind of started, you know, there were three of us on our department. We all went out, we got Labradors and thought we knew what we were doing. Uh, we taught them to what we thought was doing right. We paired up with another group and it just kind of went from there. Um, and, you know, that's where my, my story started with, uh, with the search and rescue. And it's kind of ironic that really what, uh, we had already had our search and rescue dogs when the Oklahoma city bombing happened. And that really kind of turned everybody's attention. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, like I said, it's kind of ironic that that's what really got us started and in, in that where I'm ended up now. Huh. So, um, in the beginning, when you're talking about where you thought you were doing it right, were you, I mean, just kind of flying by the seat of your pants here, or what? Uh, well, it's kind of. I, you know, I know we, you said uh, you paired up with people, but we did. Uh, you know, we had. Uh, we started out. We had there was a couple of uh, of local search and rescue groups in Tennessee who were already running. You know, on the wilderness side. Uh, but back, you know, back in those days, the USAR system, uh, urban search and rescue system, was was really kind of in infant stages, uh, and nobody really knew kind of what to expect. So we were teaching, we were training wilderness dogs um, to run across, you know, debris piles and things like that. So that's kind of where we got, you know, we, we understood, took a lot of classes, uh, as offered by the state, you know, things like that. But just started out, um, <laughs> like I said, with Labradors, didn't really even know what drive was at the time. Um, and we were teaching dogs to try to find people and bark at them. <laughs> nice. Like, oh, so you're training police dogs. <laughs> right. People. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, on that kind of Everybody kind of asked me, says, you know, I can't believe that, you know, you, you tell people that, you know, that's how you started or what you did. And I'm like, man, there ain't no sense in lying about it, you know. <laughs> yeah. so back then, we were trying to understand, you know, what was going on and, and you know, Everybody was talking about, you know, such a huge difference on the police dog side versus the military working dog side. Where, you know, before, you know, now we look back and, and we're looking for the same drives. We're just looking, you know, it may be a little bit different for on the police side, on the patrol side or, you know, but, you know, drive is drive. And, and yeah. so now we can look back and laugh about it. And I mean, you know, I'm not ashamed of it. Yep. I didn't know what I was doing at the time, uh, but we learned, we worked our way through it. You know, and that's a, an interesting thing that I wanted to talk about a little bit, um, maybe later. We'll go ahead and do it now. But, you know, people come to me and they're like, I want you to do this. I'm like, I, or so I had somebody ask me to train a medical alert dog. I'm like, I don't know the first thing about that. I'm not even a well-rounded trainer. You know, I mean, I know how to teach dogs to find shit and bite people, and that's it. And so when people come to me about search and rescue dogs or service dogs or medical alert dogs or gun dogs, I don't even know where to start with gun dogs. And you're right. Drive is drive. So we just uh, we're actually going to have on John Devine and Eric Ennis from Rescue Twenty Two. Uh, it'll air after this. I don't know how much farther behind, but they contacted us for some rescue or for some uh, basically PTSD dogs. And I know how to select those dogs because I know what they need. But it kind of like the one common theme between what we want and what guys like you want and what they want is really, really, really good environmental stability. And I would suspect that in the search and rescue side, that it has to be really, really good. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they have to be, you know, we call them bomb-proof. Um, I mean, because, right. you know, you look at 
what these dogs work in. You know, there's sight, sound, smells. You know, there's jackhammers running behind you. There's and these dogs just have to do their job. And you know, so they have to be you know absolutely bombproof. But then the next day, walk into a school and and or you know walk in to to do a a demo with the kids or things like that. I mean, they they you know we tell everybody that we you know we're looking almost for that golden unicorn. There's about 350 dogs in the nation trained. You know, to the there's 250, 270 average number in the FEMA system, and in the state system, there's probably about 100 trained to this level. Um, you know, so that's 350 dogs total in the nation. Damn, um, that yeah. is small because at last count, I think there was a, like 25,000 or something dual and single purpose dogs on the on the police side. So that is like tiny. It it, it is, and you know, and, and like. You know, I tell everybody, you know, when we're selecting dogs, um, you know, myself and, and our staff here, you know, we've kind of been running uh, a selection process, and we're always tweaking it a little bit, of course, you know, because we're always trying to trying to make, you know, find the best dogs in the world. And, you know, and, and you guys, you know, y'all are looking for pretty much the same thing we're looking for. And my dogs, you know, they have to, you know, they have to be able to, they have to have drives, you know, uh, out the wazoo. You know, everything that you guys are looking for, you know, in an odor detection dog, everything that you're looking for, but then mine has to run across a, a collapsed building, too. Um, and, and that's usually, that's where we see our um, our problems, you know, when we're selecting dogs is, man, they're great, but then, you know, they get to the rubble and they're like, well, I'm not, you know, I never signed up for that. that. I'm not running up that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then, they, of course, they have to have perfect medical clearance. Uh, they have to be bomb proof, can't be dog aggressive, human aggressive, um, you know, or animal aggressive, period. You know, that's a whole other story. Um, you know, so they actually almost, it's the golden unicorn that we're looking for. So speaking of like odor detection and everything else, uh, before you were doing this, you were at Auburn, correct? Yes, sir. I did a contract at uh, Auburn University's training center. Um, you know, it wasn't at the main campus. Uh, it was on, at their northern campus, uh, and I'm trying to think of the name of the, of the town that we were in, but little bitty town. Um, but that's I worked there uh, and uh, met some great people and did some, you know, some some phenomenal things at at Auburn. They did some great things, and we worked the TSA contract there. Was that was that at the beginning of the Vaporwake stuff? Uh, Vaporwake had been going for a little while, mm-hmm. um, but that was that was almost kind of a. Um, uh, a separate wing per se oh. if you want to call it that uh, because they were also doing you know some of their other contracts that they work oh okay cool yeah because um what year was that when you were there oh man uh or years 11 12 somewhere in that area what uh what yeah, was auburn doing anything dog wise besides the explosives no, not at the time. That was, I, I think they did before then. Uh, now, at the main campus, um, they ran a lot of um, uh, eco dogs. They did a lot of research down at the main campus. But this was actually what they called their uh, canine training center. Mm-hmm. And mainly all we did up there was explosives. So, uh, you do the Auburn thing for a while. Was that before or after? I mean, you were handled for a while with uh, search and rescue, correct? 
Oh yeah, yeah. I've been doing search and rescues probably since 1994. Okay, so um, as you're training with another group um, and you start going into certifications and everything else, um, what were like you said? You guys thought you were doing it right, and then we're like, oh, we got hooked up, whatever. Also, in the search and rescue side of things, because. I mean, I'll be honest, it's definitely not my forte. Um, and Eric will probably say the same thing about himself. What was one of the biggest things that you started running into in terms of uh, problems with actual deployments, if you have any, and then, or if you had any, and then actual, uh, and then a, re, I guess, recreating that in training or figuring out ways around some of the problems that you guys are running into? So really, when we when we started, I mean, yeah, you know, you heard what I said. I, you know, we kind of started out and we, we were trying to figure out what we were doing. I got paired up uh, with a group, kind of started doing a lot more research, taking a lot more classes, and I got paired up with a, a state urban search and rescue team, which was based out of Knoxville, and those were really coming on strong at the time um, because of everything, of course, that was happening, and. Because I was a firefighter, I was actually already on that team, and they were putting, a, they were actually introducing a canine uh, element into the task force, and that's how most of these task forces started. They all started out as heavy rescue, uh, and then they migrated in to where they were bringing in the entire search and rescue component. So from there, um, ran that for a little bit, started taking a lot more classes, uh, figured out that we wasn't really totally wrong in what we were doing, um, but we were. We needed a little bit higher drive, higher caliber dogs. Um, so we got some more dogs, and then that's when I started training uh, with a federal team based out of Memphis. And from there, uh, was able to get on a federal team and working our way through it. Uh, so we, you know, that's where I did a lot of my major deployments. And uh, we started uh, the dog programs just got stronger. And I, you know, and, and I can remember back even when I got into the federal system. There was there was some you know there was some really good dogs but there was some some lower drive dogs at the time, and that's when we really started figuring out that you know <laughs> what drive truly was, um, and what we needed, uh, and that's what we needed and to be able to run across the rubble pile, you know, as fast as possible. Time time was everything, so we started bringing in the higher caliber, higher drive dogs started honing out the, the selection process. And there's a lot of different um, techniques. And, you know, it's kind of like everybody says, there's a thousand different ways to train a dog and 900 of them are right. So, mm-hmm. you know, there was um, the different selection processes and everybody kind of honed to what they were looking for. Um, you know, we were st- we were running mainly uh, Labradors. At, at, when it first started, we were running Shepherds and, and thing, uh, really mainly Shepherds. We kicked over to really the Labrador Retriever and then the Malinois kind of made its presence known afterwards. Um, and you're, so you're seeing mainly in the, in the system now, you're seeing a lot of, uh, Labrador retrievers, mainly black labs, Labrador retrievers. There's, uh, quite a few Belgian Malinois and then there's a few border collies and there's a few shepherds, uh, and NYPD still runs some shepherds, but you know, that was, that was where we seen it. We started getting wise, um, what we needed we needed the drive in the dogs and from there you know on the deployment side um you know we did several major deployments that's actually where i met todd uh was out with tornadoes uh and that was uh in 2014 i believe it was was it later than that 
no, it was 2011. I'm sorry. It was 2011 when I met Todd. Uh, we were actually kind of got paired up together. He had an HR dog. I had a lifeline dog. And we started working the dog together on the pile, something we had never really even planned for, but it was something we had to do at the time. And I think we spent 11 days in Alabama running that along with, um, um, you know, air ops and things like that. So really the, we try to, you know, as, as we're training dogs, we're always trying to prepare them for everything that they're going to see. I know you guys do the same thing, but, it, you know, we can't, there's no way in the world we can prep these dogs and these handlers for anything that they may encounter uh, that they see. I mean, you know, my dog had been on a helicopter a couple of times, but it was the kind of the, you know, here's the helicopter, you know, okay, we'll start it up now, y'all load on, whatever, and we we got me and Todd got kind of thrown in the fire in Alabama because you know they brought in their their CH46s and you know the guy told us he said you know whenever they sit down you need to run up there and I said are they going to turn it off and he said nope and so we mm. hot loaded on and off the whole whole thing and I mean that was something that you know really we had never prepared our dogs for we'd but yeah we'd had them on a helicopter and we'd had flown them around and stuff like that but we'd never hot loaded onto the back you know full full rotor wash coming down so it's, it's things like that that, you know, so we try to prepare our dogs for everything, but we also prepare our handlers that they need to be able to train through whatever occurs at that time. Yeah, you know, you mentioned something. You mentioned something. Uh, so I have a dog I'm on a department of the semi or well, that is local here uh, that we sold as a puppy. And we sold to a handler that was a FEMA handler, and he'd had other dogs from us before. And he runs a Lifeline and a um, and an HR dog. And this dog grew up and was raised correctly. This guy's a, a good trainer and everything else, but he kept fucking biting people. So <laughs> he he turned around, and now he's a police dog, and he's gotten several bites. But I will tell you that he is one of the best tracking, well, not tracking, one of the best trailing dogs, and I attribute it to um, the imprinting phase of the puppy. So, you know, what, okay, because you've done patrol dogs too, so what are you doing differently um, with your live find dogs to find human odor that maybe guys like Eric and I are doing differently? Um, that because this dog that I'm talking about, I mean, he doesn't track in what I would call traditional manner. I mean, he will track. We taught him to track, but when he gets to a point where he either you know encounters a lot of odor or he comes across you know a cone or whatever it is, he snaps and he'll drag your ass straight to it. And you know, it's one of those. Um, yeah, no, he's a nice, he's a super nice dog. He's a big ass Belgian Malinois, and he bites like a fucking alligator. And he's and his handler's super good, you know, but. He just generally, when we got him back, the handler that had him was like, oh, I don't think he'll bite anybody. And he tried to bite me the first day we had him here. I'm like, yeah, he'll be fine. <laughs> like, yeah, he'll be, he'll be good. We got, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> he's fine. And sure yeah. shit, I mean, he, he had a bite within, I don't know, a month of finishing patrol school. So, um, so, but what are you guys, like, how are you imprinting either green dogs or, or young dogs on human odor? How do you start the process? what we do is, I mean, you know, every dog that comes in our, our program and the thing, and here's the thing we'll, you know, we've got a breeding program that we, that Todd and myself started four years ago. Uh, it's really Todd started it. I was just kind of throwing hints his way because I know what I needed. And, um, so we had a breeding program, but we, we take dogs out of shelters. Uh, I take owner surrenders, rescues, 
you know, man, hey, I don't care, you know, what the dog is, what he does, you know, what he looks like, as long as he has, you know, everything that I need and the drives work. And so, you know, what we do is every dog that comes in, if they're a year of age or 10 months or, or whatever, mature enough to start our training program, you know, we start out no different than probably anybody else starts out. We just start out with basic drive work. Um, we, we get the drive up to where we need it. Um, you know, cause drive, either they have it or they don't, you know, but, so we just need to channel it to, to really what we're looking for. And then from there, we progress over to, you know, just almost basic runaways. Um, we use a barrel, uh, which is, you know, just a standard 55 gallon barrel, uh, that we screw together. We put two of them, we have a lid on it and we run away and we run into that barrel, pull the lid down, dog comes up, barks at the lid, he gets the toy. Uh, so it's, you know, we're, we're just using their natural, natural drives. And then from there, that barrel goes, uh, we put out six barrels. And so the dog has to use his actual nose to find the odor and odor equals reward. And they're looking for, you know, human odor and it's generalization to start, but then we just work our way into for, for the dogs to actually, you know, use their nose, bark at the hole, get the toy. Uh, so, from there, that single goes over to the edge of the rubble and then it works its way into the rubble top. Awesome, because this dog that I was just telling you about, you know, the USPCA certification deal, they have the hot boxes, and sure. th- that dog nuked that exercise and does all the time. <laughs> so yeah, it, doesn't, it doesn't surprise me, because that's basically what you're describing, so it doesn't surprise me at all that he, uh, yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. That I'm just assuming that that's probably how Kyle started him. But, um, yeah, because, you know, I see a lot of, people that you know track this way or that way and you know for whatever reason tracking seems to be one of those things that creates a you know because we've got police trainers that are obviously like you know eric's a perfect example eric's a fantastic tracking trainer his guys are super successful you know scott and i are very good tracking trainers our guys are super successful on their tracks and we do it slightly differently and you'll have people that are in the bloodhound community or in whatever the other, the little stripey hound things, the Hanoverians or whatever those things are called, that are, you know, tracking only people that have a completely different way of doing it. And I've trained with some of those people. I'm like, how the fuck did you even learn to do this? Or where did this come from? And I'm looking at it, I'm like, yeah, well, I mean, we could probably do that, but not with a police dog. And, but yeah, so it's, it's interesting because. You know, you guys' utility is, is straight up finding human odor. I mean, like, that's it. That's all you guys do. And so you're the best at finding human odor. So I just wanted to hear, and I'm sure everybody else does too, like how you guys do it. So everybody listening, that's how you do is, it. That's the secret. <laughs> and the thing about it is it's, it's odor that, that's, uh, that's not visible, if that makes sense. Because, you know, when we're right. more on a deployment or we're on a certification, on the certification, you get six, seven, eight people standing on top of that rubble pile. Um, when you're on a deployment, you've got, you know, you've got 30 rescue guys sitting there waiting to start digging if your dog barks. You know, so the dog will go in, you know, and it's, it's an elimination process. The dog goes, nope, you're not it. Nope, you're not it. Oh, wait a minute. I smell that, but I can't, you know, you're, there's nobody here. Yeah, this is where it's at. And it's, it's you know, it's amazing because, you know, I, I tell everybody, you know, we've not even scratched the surface of the capability of a dog's nose not even scratch the surface of what they're capable of doing, you know, and it's just amazing to watch these dogs running across a collapsed building where, you know, you can look down there and, you know, you're looking at it going, there is no way that somebody is underneath there, you know, where we hide somebody or if it's on an actual, actual deployment and, and the dog's barking and they're telling you that that's where the odor's at, they're odor locators. 
you know, it's the odor is right here. And so, it's an amazing, amazing watch. So speaking of that, do you have any stories from a deployment where you literally said that, like, there's no way in hell there's somebody in here? Uh, not from an actual deployment. Yeah, not not an actual deployment. Um, I'm just trying to think. Uh, I mean, I know I, I, we've had a couple of locates on a couple of different things. Uh, we really don't normally talk about that. Uh, <laughs> so, right. But, you know, I can tell you that, um, you know, my dog's had a couple of locates uh, on different things. And, you know, and same on the on the uh, recovery side. We take, you know, because we train urban search rescue and urban search and recovery. And we've had some good locates. Um you know, and, and sometimes it's kind of like you said. I mean, I've got, we've we've had one that um, trying to think. You know, the dog the dog barked. From what I can say about it, uh, the dog barked, and the ground was as smooth as as walking outside your door. And you know, the dog. We tried to get the dog. It's like, well, maybe there's something else. We're kind of looking around. The dog goes back, alerts again. It's one of those. You know, man, there's got to be something here. And so we, you know, the 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 investigators that were there, they started digging, and of course, seven foot down, there was a, there was, there was somebody. So it was kind of one of those. You kind of look at at each other, like, okay, I know I got to trust my dog. I know I have to trust my dog, but, and <laughs> there's a whole. It was, uh, it that one was pretty amazing. Um, and I can tell you one, of, probably one of the most amazing deployment stories. Uh, I kind of hit, uh, hit on it there a minute ago was uh, myself and and when I met Todd. They kind of took, uh, we was on the Alabama Tornadoes. We had been there. We had just rolled in. Todd's group had already been there for a couple of days. And they paired me and him up, never met him. He'd never met me. And they told us we had to work together. And Todd kind of looked at me and he goes, my dog's never worked around another dog. And I said, well, actually, mine's not either. So I guess we're going to figure it out. And the dogs actually sat off of each other and it almost become a competition. And the dogs worked so beautiful. And I mean, I... You know, Todd will tell you, and I did too. I mean, it was one of probably one of the most beautiful things that we've ever watched because the way they worked the pile in competition, but in combination with each other, uh, we were clearing a lot of a lot of area real quick. They were those. They were feeding off each other for sure. Like, oh, yeah. could you they, tell they, that looked like it? Absolutely. You could you could look at it, and I mean, I'll, I'll t- I ain't gonna lie. I kind of I'm a I'm a big mini baby anyway. And, you know, I almost had a tear in my eye because it was one of the, <laughs> the most beautiful things. I mean, I love to watch dogs work, but my gosh, to watch those two run across, you know, and then we're talking miles of uh, of destroyed houses, subdivisions, you know, you name it. And these dogs were just working in combination, almost in tandem with each other. And they would pass each other and just keep working harder and harder as they went down the blocks. And it was it was amazing to watch. When you talk about um, the rubble piles at your training facility, um, uh, I know what, what you're talking about and Ted does too, but some folks might not. Can you explain the rubble pile, the size, how you build it, what, it's, what cavities you have and things like that in it? So what we, The one that we've actually got on our location now, and I've worked a bunch of different rubble piles. Everybody's got different rubble piles across the country, and you'll have a lot of uh, – you've got you know just solid concrete, um, so it may be – I've, uh, you know, I think Colorado has a runway that they tore up from Denver Airport, and they just piled it, and it's just acres and acres of collapsed concrete. Um, you know, there's wood piles, there's things like that. What we've got at our lo- our facility is something that, you know, we really worked hard to get, 
um, and thought and planned. And what we did is we did a, what we call a combination pile. It's got concrete and wood. And they actually tore down a dorm, a full college dorm. And they asked us when, you know, when we went and looked at it, they said, what part of this you want? And I said, we want it all because we mm. want it to be as realistic as possible. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I want all of it. Yeah. That's it. That's what we love. We was like, man, we want it all. Uh, there's kitchen sinks. There's conduit. There's, um, uh, I don't know, lights. There's piping. There's insulation. There's wood. There's whole, you know, there's all kinds of stuff, uh, and, and it's just as realistic. I and mean, then what we did was we actually we made a few um, hides, you know, where we can put hide people in it as they they were dumping it, and we got about eighty tractor trailer loads to put that they put down. Jeez. But then after they put Holy it down, we shit. actually went in and four. So it's it's probably the size of a football field, and it's about anywhere from ten to twelve feet high right now. Holy um, shit! Yeah, we have one in Tulsa here that I've been out to uh that yep. uh Tulsa Fire Department owns. I was out there with you. And I mean yeah, that's a yeah, yeah. that's a big ass pile. That's a giant pile of broken concrete from like bridges and I mean it's huge. There's a bus out there. There's that entire yep. big ass pile of like uh what are those things? Like pallets and yeah. So yep. I mean Yeah, it's pretty intense like walking around out there on that thing and you're like, man, because you're out there in the daylight, you're right. And you're like, yeah, it couldn't be that big of a deal, right? I can only imagine doing that shit at night and having to, you know, the dogs, which we were talking about a minute ago, like the dogs have to be super environmentally stable. And, you know, like you said, it's almost impossible to recreate that environment of, like, a catastrophe or, like, you know, that chaotic environment. And you've got all those people standing around, which is why when I was out there with you, I mean, we had, I don't know, like eight or ten people standing out. They were all just walking around. You know, the dogs all ran, yep. run around, do whatever they do. So, yeah, I mean... Interesting. So speaking of which, uh, so where are you now? So now we are uh, located just outside Oklahoma City. I moved out here in August of last year. And what we've done is um, we have started on what we call a Ground Zero Emergency Training Center. And it's going to be a first responder training center, going to be for fire rescue, law enforcement, uh, EMS, emergency management and we want to make uh, a training area you know for all those disciplines um and not just dogs you know we want to be able to recreate special um training props you know with with myself in the the fire rescue side with you know with todd's history uh in the uh and law enforcement side we've got a lot of you know good friends you know ted hint hint uh good friends in the the business you know, that have, they have the minds that we want to be able to recreate training props that, you know what, a lot of, a lot of uh, handlers or, or law enforcement officials, fire rescue, emergency management can have, do not have the chance to go out and train on. Uh, we want it to be those different props. You know, I've, we've had a couple of people call us and say, you know, I've never really, I've always wanted to be able to recreate this type of situation. Well, all right, let's put, our, let's put our minds together. Let's get with, you know, some of the people that are helping us in our organization, and let's build those type of props, you know, so people can come in here and actually be able to work it. We want to make it to where, because we want everybody to go home. We want everybody to have a safe environment to train in, and that's what we want to build here. And, and how, are you, how um, are you funding it? Are, are you getting federal grants for this? Is this something you're trying to get going that direction? Uh, well, what we're doing right now is it's all private and foundation grants. Um, oh, great. 
we've not we've not tapped um, any um, uh, federal grant of any type so far. Um, you know, it all started, and I'll tell you a little bit of back history on that. Um, a couple of years, three or four years ago, well, a couple of years ago, um, Barry Switzer and Becky, his wife Becky, called me and and said they'd travel around the country a little bit and. Um, you know, somebody kind of put a point them in my direction to be able to, the state of Oklahoma was low on, on search and rescue dogs. And my name had come up and me and Becky had actually met in California at one time. And so, you know, fast forward a couple, a couple of <laughs> months. Um, and we kind of got started. I trained up a couple of dogs from the state of Oklahoma, flew out. Um, and well, I was driving out, bringing the dogs out and we paired a couple of dogs in, uh, Oklahoma City and from there you know that's when we kind of Barry sat down and he had talked to um, Chief John Hanson who who has passed now but he was a member of Oklahoma City's fire department and John had always told him that there needed to be a training center because Oklahoma is centrally located throughout the United States and I, I told coach I said you're absolutely correct John was dead on that's that's it perfect because it does need to be there it does need to be one here and so what we did was we kind of started putting plans together and meeting with different architects and things like that. And we actually come up with some training plans, found some property right outside Oklahoma city. And so I moved here last August and, uh, we set up, you know, a temporary kennel here until they, until they break ground. We've not broke ground yet. They're, uh, they're raising the money for the first section, but we've got, um, a 60 acre piece of property that we're on and we've got 120 acres, uh, about two miles down the road that we can, uh, use as well if, if need be, if, depending on, you know, how the funding goes and things like that. So far, we've placed uh, 10, 12 dogs in the state of Oklahoma, um, six on Oklahoma City Fire Department, four on Tulsa, two with the Chickasaw Nation, and then we've placed two dogs outside into the federal system, one with uh, Cal 5 and one with Utah that we just got through, and then we have three more handlers courses coming up this year. You guys ain't fucking around, man. No, they're not. Like uh, in a year, I, man, you were pumping it out. Good for you. Yeah. You know, Becky and coach used to come over, uh, cause she has, Becky has done a fantastic job with rescue and, uh, especially with German shepherds and her and coach both. And Becky came over and trained with us for quite a while. Um, about the same time frame. Uh, with several of her German shepherds, and she had a little black mallow. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. she's, you know, and they're awesome. And, you know, this, and they were talking to us about the, like, their, or, well, their, what they want this to be. And she's like, you know, Oklahoma, just, you know, same thing. Oklahoma's centrally located. We also have a lot of shit go bad here, like earthquakes and fires and tornadoes and all kinds of fun stuff, floods. Yeah. So we have everything. So, and, you know, it was kind of, you know, this is what she wanted to do. And it's good to see that it is finally moving forward, I guess is the best way to say it. Because, I mean, there for a while I kind of felt like she was, you know, not necessarily lost, but she's like, you know, I don't really know where to go, you know. And then she found you guys, and I was like, yes, perfect. So, (laughs) yeah. Well, we appreciate it. I mean, and you're right, they're great people. They are great people. Yeah, absolutely. So... Before before we head to commercial break, um, you mentioned earlier about working with, uh, I don't know if it was um, Todd or if it was somebody else that was working a human remains dog. 
um, that you worked with. Now, listen, you can be honest. It's just us girls here listening. Aren't those fucking guys weirdos that work those HR dogs? Aren't they creepy? No, they're not. They're not? (laughs) (laughs) I know we eat creepy. (laughs) Uh, I figured there was some shit talking. This is what I tell everybody. Odor detection is odor detection. We're just changing the odor, right? Right? Mm -hmm. Come on. We just keep one one group keeps drugs in their safe. The other one keeps thumbs. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, right? right? That's right. All right, so <laughs> oh, God. we're, we're going to go ahead and break for a minute here um, to talk about our sponsors, and then we come back. Um, we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, the the certifications these guys got to go through that should make most uh, police dog handlers shut the fuck up about you know how hard they've got it on their uh, on their end. So we'll be right back. Let's take a second and talk about dog trip. Astute trainers with proper training tools are the key to unleashing any dog's potential. For over 30 years, Dogtra has collaborated with industry professionals to create class-leading tools in e-collar training, GPS tracking, and balls training to support dog owners in developing top-notch dogs. One of the ways they do that is superior technology, ergonomics, design, and durability. They have gradual and precise stimulation control via their patented 127-level rheostat dial, so you have a minimal jump in stimulations They have trusted durability and reliability. I use them every day at the kennel and have for years. Works all the time, every time. Weatherproof, waterproof, and pretty much idiot-proof. They're, speaking of which, is intuitive and innovative. There's no fuss, no hassle. When you hear Eric talking about making sure the handlers know exactly where the remote is and it's a no-look use, this is exactly what he's talking about. Hit him up at doctor.com. Let me hop in here for two seconds and talk about the Police Canine Association. Uh, the Police Canine Association was established in 1985. So shortly after they established the unit, they created this association as well as the bylaws created by handlers for handlers. The association was created to help get equipment and training needed to keep the teams successful and current. There is a cost to starting and maintaining a program, which I think you've probably heard Eric and I talk about a lot. However, financial expenses are often cut out for equipment and training in order to maintain policing in other areas. This is where these guys come in, which is super important. This is how they assist these other agencies. They help offset the cost in training equipment and medical needs for both active and retired canines. The Police Canine Association assists canine handlers from about 20 police and sheriff's departments. They continue to grow, and as they continue to grow, so does the need for support. So check them out, PK9A. Dot com Police Canine Association. If you head over there, they've got sweet hoodies, hats, t-shirts, all kinds of stuff. Head over there, check them out. PK9A. All right, we're back. Uh, this uh, we dispelled the myth that um, the human remains dog guys aren't nut jobs. They're actually pretty solid dudes. Um, but. Uh, so we're talking all things search and rescue. I, I'm I am fascinated by it. I don't know a single thing about it. Um, the only thing that I've seen worked over here in Ohio is the human remains dog. We haven't had too many you know disasters over here that where I've gotten to see um, you know the live find dogs do any kind of work, which which I think would be unbelievable to see. Um, so in our world, Ted Nice. We have, you know, certifications that the police dog guys got to go through, and it's once a year. And I've seen 
you know, the, the writing or the, the certification standards for just about every group and every organization. And they're not hard. They're real. They're real easy enough to, so that on the um, when you're doing a class, say I do like an eight or 10 week class, I don't even really have to focus a ton on the certification stuff to like the last week or two because uh, it's really not that hard. We actually just I actually just teach some tricks to get through a lot of it because it's easy. But um, let's talk about the FEMA standards and, and kind of what that looks like for you guys, um, because it's like Ted has read it and he says it, it's it's ridiculous what you guys have to go through. Not ridiculous, but comparatively very difficult. It's a it's a big difference. Um, and what I can tell you, you know, you got two you got two levels and your first level is what they call the top two or the foundation skills assessment. Foundation skills assessment, what that is, is the dogs have to do a basic uh, obedience, healing pattern, you know, right turn, left turn, about turn, fast, slow, stop, you know, just the basics. Then they have to go into uh, an emergency stop, so it makes the emergency down at a 25-yard distance. Uh, they have to do uh, a full agility, and it's not like your competition, um, USPCA-style agility, things like that. They have to climb a ladder. They have to go across a high plank that's six to eight feet high. has to be 12 feet long. They cross a wobbly surface, uh, which is usually, uh, just to kind of give you a basic aspect, it's a, a one or two by 12 plank, 12 feet long, on two barrels, and the barrels move back and forth. Um, then they have to, what else, what am I missing, Todd? Um, they have to do the teeter-totter. Uh, we actually removed the A-frame several years ago. Uh, they have to do a low crawl, and then they do what we call a uh, they do a tunnel. They have to have a 90-degree turn that's covered partially covered on one end, and then they have to do what we call a uh, debris table, and it's uh, normally a four by eight area. Yeah, four by eight area. Todd just says, "Hey, you know what? We got to do that uh, four by eight area." that uh, anywhere from piled up with stuff three foot high i've seen ladders across it i've seen tires i've seen you know they have to be able to cross that that's just your basic agility then we have to do what we call direction and control there's um there's bases set out they're 25 yards apart and it's kind of set up like a baseball diamond you kind of sit at home plate um and you have to be able to cast your dog in a pattern that the evaluator gives you and it may, you know, normal pattern is anywhere from four to six bases. So you may go first, center, second, center, third, home. You have to do all that in three minutes. <clears throat> Dogs have to stay on the bases for five seconds. And the things that you have to remember about our our world is everything is no leash, no collar, um, no vest, no harness, no nothing. Everything we call it, you know, we got to slick the dog. We we don't get to use anything. Um, then they have to do. You know, of course, they have to do a dog aggression test. They have to do a human aggression test. They have to do a five-minute outside downstay. And then if if they pass all that, because you can't fail any of it, if you pass all of that, then you go to the rubble pile and you have to find two victims on a 6,000-square-foot rubble pile on average uh, in 15 minutes. And that's the, that's your first test. Then your second test. Jeez. Uh, that, Holy yeah, shit. Then your second test. <laughs> you have to, yeah, you're right. Your second test is what they do is you go to, like Ted was talking about in Tulsa, they have two rubble piles. And um, 
each pile has to be on the average of 20,000 square feet. And you're going to find anywhere from two to four victims on each pile. And you have 20 minutes to do each pile with a 10 minute break in between. So your tests are blind. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You don't even that's, get to that's see That's sort of an important, that's, like I'm, that's sort of an important yeah. point that I'm making that I want all police handlers to find to hear like your tests are blind two to four. <laughs> so you yep. could be two, it could so you be can three, total, two four. Total six victims. Uh, you always, you always oh, go me. in thinking. Oh. And, and all of them are, um, you guys train everybody a barking alert. Yes, they have to do a bark alert. One pile that you go on on your on your and that that test is called the top one. Uh, on one pile, you have full access. You can go all over. You can go anywhere you want to go. On the other one, you have to stay off the pile until your dog barks at the first victim. You access it. You access the pile. You mark the vic- location where your victim's at, and you send your dog on to search. And you have to stay in a five foot circle. So you don't get to go anywhere near your dog. Your dog can totally go outside. And if it barks, then you can move. And dog has to bark three times and has to hold a consecutive 30 second bark. And it's just a three bark stop. Like nope. they do three seconds. barks or they can, or they can, can, can bark more than three times or it's just three times. That's it. No, they, they have to bark at least three. Oh, at least. You can't okay. move third bark. But you want your dog to hold a con- consecutive thirty-second bark until you get there. Right. Okay. Wow. That's Man. amazing. And the thing is, is when you bark that victim, you better trust your dog because what we call it, flag laid, flag played. If you mark a false alert, you fail. You're done. Mm-hmm. So you, um, once the yeah. dog is gone, once the dog is sent out, are you allowed to direct, or you just have to stand there? Is there a whistle allowed, or is there verbal, or anything, or it's just Cut them and go. It's mainly cut them and go. Um, and what we've learned through the years, is if you start directing that dog, that dog becomes dependent on you mm-hmm. and starts going to where you want it to go instead of where it needs to go. Oh we, tell our, we tell all of our handlers, we tell all of our handlers, you know what, the dog's the smart one of the, of the team here. We're the idiot on the end of the leash. Uh, you know, let your dog do its job. It's got the nose, not us. If we can see scent, why the hell are we using dogs? Please tell me that you've told them not to police handlers. Yeah. <laughs> I'm we, sorry. <laughs> we, we, it's yeah. A lot of the same things come out of our mouths too. It's great. Yeah, no shit. I'm like when when I have handlers and I, so help me God, if I, my handlers, I hear that they hear me all the time say, well, several things. But when I tell them, I'm like, what are you doing? Hey, don't stop touching the car. Stop doing. Just stand there. He, you're the asshole with the thumbs. He'll let you know when he needs your help. You just stand there and just wait. Your only job is to make sure he's checking everything. If he's not, just kind of say, "Hey, go back and look at this." But other than that, I don't want to see you blocking. I don't want to see you using your body. I don't want to see you touching shit. Just stop. And they're like, "Uh, you know," and they're like, "Well, so and so told me to do that, and it's that and the other." I'm like, "Motherfucker, do you track that way too?" Like, are you out in front being like, hey, look down here on the ground, this, that, and the other? Like, well, no, I don't know where it's at. I'm like, well, then, like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, let him work, man. Like, get out of the way. I, I have a buddy of mine I'll that trains it. for a large agency, and uh, what he does for tracking is if he's got a handler that is trying to outthink the dog and not paying attention, he will tie a, a tire or sled or something onto the end of the leash and make the handler stand there and tell his dog to track. And then when the dog takes off, 
and sees him pulling a tire or and nails the track and the handler never had nothing to do with it. He's like, see, you don't mean shit. <laughs> you, <laughs> Stay you're out of the yeah. You are. That's what a tire, I tell pet. Right. That's what I tell pet people that own uh, that own huskies. They're like, how do I get my husky not to pull? I'm like, don't be heavy shit. They're made. They're bred to pull heavy shit. Move faster. You'll be all right. Right. Lose some weight. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. That's an insanely difficult certification. And I remember reading through that because uh, Alicia's stupid dog Static. He's a human remains dog, and he's. Um, Hence my question about the weirdo, creepy. Yeah, people. I don't have any human body parts in my fridge though, so there's that. I do have placenta and concrete though for the for the water fine, which is pretty interesting. Um, there you go. But yeah, yeah, and it smells like death. So, <laughs> in it, 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 it's gross. So you know, that was kind of one of the things we wanted to talk about because all of my handlers when they go through because our Oklahoma has a state certification standard for. Um, narcotics and explosives and it's fairly straightforward it's an ounce and you know there's x number of fines blah 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 it's pretty straightforward and everybody comes to me like oh i'm nervous i'm like you probably shouldn't be you know we train this dog <laughs> like you've already done way harder shit during your handle school and they go through and just nuke it every single time and they come back well, it wasn't that hard at all i'm like i know right so same thing with you know nap water usbca or whoever and so that's one of the things that we harp on on the police side is we're like hey you know the certification standards are not really indicative of what you're going to see for deployments or for actual use or utility of the dog. It's basically demonstrating the dog knows odor and then you've got basic control. On your side, I mean, with blind finds with 20,000 or whatever, like quarter of a mile or whatever the hell it is, and the dogs have to go and bark for 30 seconds. I mean, that's intense. And that is extremely difficult, which is one of the things that I wanted you to talk about. I'm glad you did because that is, that's hairy. And, you know, it probably speaks to why there's, what would you say, 350-ish dogs in the federal system? Yeah, two hundred, roughly 270 in the federal system. It, it varies a little bit. Um you know, of course, dogs retire out, things like that. you got 28 federal task forces in the nation. Each of them have, on the average, of anywhere from 6 to 12 dogs on their team. Um, so, I mean, you figure that out, 28, you know, hey, I'm not the right. smart one, 28 times 12, whatever. You know, so you're looking, and some teams only have four. You know, so it's hard. You know, there's a huge shortage of dogs. We all know that. Mm-hmm. And on the federal, oh, yeah. on the urban search and rescue side, the shortage is is brutal you know i tell everybody that you know we're looking for we're all kind of looking for pretty much the same thing except mine has to run rope yeah man <laughs> exactly so that's that's a you know i mean it's a very telling thing uh, so you know speaking of which you know we're especially single purpose narcotics dogs like we can turn those around i'm pretty turning quick. yeah how long does it take to do to get to a fema level like type one finished dog what i well, what we do is we really push our handlers pretty hard uh and i know it don't seem like it when i say the numbers but you know it takes us anywhere from six to nine months to train the dog up if we bring the dog in at an age that it's ready to start training uh of course we you know puppies are going to take longer of course we know that but six to nine months and then when my handlers come in um, I give them three months to get their top two and then another three months to get their top one. The problem that we have 
on certifications is you know there's there's only six certifications a year on the federal side. Um, oh, there'll be like damn. two in California center and two on the east coast. You fail, you got to wait a month. You Jeez. know, you wait, may wait, and if you take the last test of the year because they don't test during hurricane season, so if they the last test of the year is November, you're not going to test again. The first first test will probably be February or March. So you may go four or six months because if you fail, even if you're a certified team taking a research, you fail, you're out. You're non-deployable until you get that certification. Yeah, and it's a hairy so, process to put that certification on to. I've been around one of those, and I mean, it's like they spend like three hundred grand or something to like build a rubble pile, or right? I mean, it's like a gnarly process to go through. They have to go in and what we call it, fluff the pile. So nobody can touch the pile for two weeks after it's been reworked. So that's oh, all you hide, all that. So nobody can touch that that rubble pile, and. You know, and then you come in, you have to have seven evaluators, uh, three on each pile and one chief. You know, so, you know, you're looking at all the money because they're bringing, they're flying evaluators in from around the country. And they they all, like, you know, and you run your certification, it's two straight days, you know, an hour per team, and you roll through it. And two teams test at the same time, one on one rubble pile, one on the other. You're within, you know, a stone's throw of the other dog, Ted. You've been up there, you've seen where the wood pile and the concrete pile was. That's right. how close the two piles are, and you are working on each one at the same time. <clears throat> so it's a lot. I mean, it's it's a lot, um, you know. And and the tests have actually reduced in numbers. Uh, used to we had anywhere from eight, nine, ten a year. They're down to six now. What next year is going to bring? I don't know. You know, with federal funding being cut and things like that, you know, that's going to eliminate, you know, even more tests. So, you know, what are the numbers going to do? We don't know. Uh, so. We're just going to try to keep, you know, assisting the task forces the best we can. You know, our private donors have stepped up and, and really helped us out. Um, and because what we do is we train these dogs. Um, and, you know, FEMA puts the the estimated value on these dogs at about 70000 you know, when they're certified. Mm-hmm. So we're turning around. We're training these dogs up. We put the handler through a two-week handler's course. We'd love for it to be 10 weeks, but... You know they can't they can't break away from their jobs and, and things like that. So we put them through a two week handler's course, and then they have to listen to, you know, my hillbilly uh, self calling them all the time, asking them how their dog's doing, making them send me video, things like that. And so they try to go ahead and get through the certification, but we we do everything for them free of charge. Awesome. So you know, there's a there's a very big undercurrent here about the difference between. Um, the police side and the search and rescue side and the two, sure. what I would call certification standards. So on that note, you trained what I would consider a fairly, or help train, what I would consider a fairly famous or not famous, I don't know how to say this, you trade the dog for Todd Frazier. So for those listening, every couple of months there's a story that continues to recirculate. And I actually want to have Todd on and do an actual episode with just him. Um, and talk about handling and talk about whatever else. So the really short version of this story is that um, Todd was called to a car that was backed into a parking lot or near off a highway. Um, There was a guy in the car. Two other guys come out of the woods and attempt to kill Todd. And Todd is able to hit the door popper, and Lucas ends up saving his life. And, Daryl, you had a part in training Lucas, correct? I had a small part. I had a small right. part in it. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. So nothing about any of the police side certifications. Are there any door popper exercises that I know of? Uh, there may be one in like national police or national tactical police dog. If I remember right, I have to look at the standards again. And I think there's one in one of the California ones, but, um, as far as I know, you know, I mean, there's no standard for that. And, you know, I, in situations like that, because we've had a, one of my, in fact, the dog that I just talked about, the one that was a search and rescue dog, you know, his handler got in a fight with somebody that wasn't supposed to be violent and hit the door popper. And, you know, his, the handler's words to me was, I knew the cavalry was coming. As soon as that dog got there, I knew it was going to happen. And so... You know, and it's because of what we do in training. Um, my guys don't, and that dog actually has his um, uh, PD one from USPCA too now. But um, he, it's it's something that Eric and I harp on a ton. And you know, we're not going to have time to have Todd on on this episode, but I do want to have him on eventually to kind of talk about like how that happened and everything else and leading up to that. But yeah, I mean, I, the the you you underscored a point i think with the certification side where um you you talk about like your certifications are blind they're super hard and you know i think that the performance of the small number of dogs that are working in that community kind of directly reflect how hard that certificate or well how realistic that certification is i shouldn't say hard but how realistic the certification is to deployable standards and i kind of directly attribute that to also the way that Lucas performed that night, which is also extremely important for guys on our side. I totally agree. Um, and I can tell you, I mean, just the cliff notes version and you can, you know, Todd can give you the whole version one day. Um, me and Todd had worked together. Todd had brought Lucas up there. Lucas is an amazing dog. I love the dog to death. Uh, freaking just real deal. Uh, Todd had worked with us on and off, uh, at our kennel in Tennessee at the time. Um, he came up here, he was, uh, he'd been, you know, he's been in horses all his life. He's been in with dogs and he brought Lucas up there. And if I screw it up, Todd will tell me I screwed it up anyway. But, <laughs> you know, Todd was wanting to bring the dog up there to see if he was ready for search. Um, and the dog would have passed a, a, a certification. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. He would. But I told Todd, uh, me and my wife both, and she's in the dog world too. Uh, we both told him that, you know, Lucas is, is a phenomenal dog. He'll certify, uh, you know, all day long, but he's not a street. You know, he's he's not ready for the fight. He's not ready for the street. He's not ready for real world application. Uh, kind of hurt Todd's feelings. He'll tell you. Um, he tells everybody he kind of went back to Mississippi with his tail between his legs, trying to figure out what did I mean. We talked about it. Todd is the real deal. Um, probably the best best friend a man could ever have. And so he called back, and he didn't. He wasn't one of these that got mad, kicked, and stomped, and and said I was crazy, and I didn't know what I was talking about. He asked me what I was talking about. We worked through it, and, you know, fast forward to when it happened. Um, you know, I was in California at the time, woke up that morning, knew something was wrong. And everybody tells me I'm crazy, but whatever. Um, and I started, me and Todd always talk every couple of days. Tried to call him that morning, no answer, um, which was very odd because we always – Shot the, shot the bull in the mornings, whatever. And um, I got a text uh, from somebody that said, what happened in Mississippi? And I started kind of scrolling Facebook, imagine that, and seeing the story 
and I kept calling and kept calling and kept calling. And finally, he called me and said, I'm okay. I'm in the hospital. I will call you later. And that's kind of where it all went. And, you know, when I get the whole story from Todd a little bit later, uh, you know, Lucas did what Lucas had to do. Uh, Todd had only had that door popper on his vehicle for two days, two weeks. Um, and, you know, he, Todd's straightforward. I mean, he ain't going to lie to you. He's, he's as hillbilly as I am. And he said the only thing he could think of was hitting his belt, you know, to try to hit that popper. And he, it's kind of like you just, you was talking about. He said when he heard that door, you know, he said he heard the gravel underneath Lucas's feet. And he said, and he heard a noise come out of Lucas that he had never heard before. Um, and Lucas, yeah, absolutely. He saved his life. And you know what? Uh, the dog was at my house two weeks ago and he's, you know what? He's old <laughs> and graying out, but you know what? He's still a real deal. And, uh, I love the dog to death and he saved my best friend's life. That's for sure. Hell yeah. Out being retired means you don't have to out anymore too. So <laughs> right. like, you don't have to out. Sleep. You can just, you can just fucking know. have the tennis ball here. Just take it and leave me alone. <laughs> exactly. I wanted to. Yep. And, um, and that amazing. Yeah, that that story, um, you know, in our circles is pretty well known. Um, I can't wait to uh, to to hear the play by play and from his his perspective of it. <laughs> but that that's it's it's so amazing that that you you know rarely when we find a dog that's um we believe is not going to bite or at least not right away um rarely are we wrong about that and it's it's amazing when the dog proves us wrong i love it when they do and they prove us wrong especially in a situation like this um it, it and it's it's just strange that that it took that to bring it out of him when a lot of times you'd think you'd get it out of him during just regular bite work stuff. Absolutely. You know, and, and the thing is, is, you know, um, you know, Todd can tell you the stories, you know, you talking about the, uh, the certification, uh, <laughs> Todd was at the house and, you know, I watched Ted's videos and I've talked to Ted in the past, you know, and, and Ted, you know, do we do it exactly the same? No, but you know what? I'm always get, get behind the ass of your dog. You know, you can't see nothing up there. You don't need to be tapping. The dog knows where he's at. You know, <laughs> dog knows what he's doing, blah, blah, blah. That same dog, Todd, uh, when we were working with all of that, um, we kind of, Todd was going to the, um, there you go. Right there. <laughs> Sorry, Todd's interrupting me. Um, Todd went to the Nationals with Lucas he was a reserve deputy at the time, and we had taught the dog, you know, independent search, you know, blah, 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 and, you know, Todd just went up there and, and just popped the dog off off leash, and the dog went up, knocked out the vehicles, done. And a couple of, a couple of handlers said, hey, he can't do that, and the official said, well, actually, he can. Hmm. Um, and Todd, Todd won the Nationals with Lucas uh, on that period, and that, that was a... Uh, <laughs> Todd got a lot of slack over a lot of the handlers up there because they couldn't figure out, you know, why he wasn't. He has to present, and the evaluators no, he don't have to present nothing. The dog's the one that works, you know. So it was, uh, it was, it was really cool, and it's kind of, you know, goes right back to what y'all are talking about. Is you know, we're looking at real world stuff here. We're not, uh, you know, it's not certifications. It's not none of this. You know, it's like you said. You know, there's no, 
is there a certification for the door popper? I mean, I don't, I've never heard of one. I've never seen one. You know, is we need to we need to prep these people for real world, and I think the FEMA certification is probably as close to real world as you can. Yeah, I'm surprised they don't just wait for a tornado and call you up. All right, you're up. Time to cert. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Todd yeah, said, Todd said that there's, uh, what would you say, Todd? He said, you've got to make sure that that door popper is when you're getting your ass kicked, too. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Be, be sure you uh, bring your FEMA trailer with you. That That's a joke for all the uh, conspiracy theorist people that are listening. <laughs> so, so um, I mean, we, we could talk about this stuff forever, but we don't have forever. So what I do like, what I would like to talk about is... Um, the gr- your ground zero um, group that you got going on as far as where are we headed now? How can people help you? That's what that's what I want mostly. How can people help you? Well, you know, the thing is, is, um, you know, we're working on the website. It's up. It's ground zero save lives dot com. Um, and, you know, we're running off all private donations. Um, you know, hey, my phone number's on there. Uh, call us up. Uh, we'll be glad to, you know, we give tours. Uh, we have handlers coming in from across the country, you know, that's coming in and working on rubble piles. And, you know, where we're headed, we're headed, we're going to build that 120-acre facility, you know, $40 million. And that's where we're headed. Uh, because, you know, it's going to have student lodging on on site. You know, we're going to have, like I said, all the props. You got an idea of a prop that you want to see, Ted? Hit. <clears throat> uh, you know, give me a call. Let's, let's figure it out. Uh, because we're laying the groundwork now for all the props. We've got all the buildings laid out. And, you know, uh, the, the board of directors that we have, hey, it's windy. The board of directors that we have, they are very they are very smart about what they're doing. And, you know, the, we're going to do it the right way. And, you know, so, you know, hey, we're, we, uh, we hope that it goes like it's supposed to. Um, and we're, you know, we're not out to set no, no land speed record. We want it to be correct, uh, and we're not going to we're not going to be stupid doing it either. Uh, you know, we'd like to see it built in the next three to five years for everything. Uh, we're hoping to break ground in the next yeah, three to six months on our first building, which is going to be our multi multi-purpose building, uh, and it's going to have you know kennels in it, but it's also going to have uh, five thousand square foot indoor training offices, conference room, you know, things like that. So. Uh, Check us out, GroundZeroSavesLives.com. You know, look, visit us on Facebook, uh, Ground Zero Emergency Training Center. That's that's great. You guys, you guys are definitely, you know, dedicated to your cause. You're putting in the work, because in the meantime, you're trying to fund this and build all this, but you're still putting out dogs. You're still not just walking around looking at places to build and try to, you know, go meet and greet and everything. You still got to train. You still got to work. You still got to get called out. Um, and work, and um, I I take my hat off to you. I think it's very commendable. Um, it's you know, it's sad that we need that, um, but it definitely it definitely is worth it. Uh, if it saves one person at one of those scenes, it's to me it's worth it. Um, I, I personally love what you guys are doing. Um, and anything else uh, you guys want to? plug or at all any you got any upcoming seminars that you're going to be at or anywhere people could meet you guys or anything like that well we've got um you know i don't know when this is going to air um but we've got 
Paul Ludwig uh, from Iron Dog K9 has mm-hmm. uh, asked us to, if he could come in and do a seminar here in Oklahoma. Uh, so we're going to be bringing him in in November. Uh, I think the dates are going to be coming out probably in the next couple of weeks. I think I think he talked to you, Ted, correct? Well, he talked to my handler. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was told I that that's to where I, I, I was told that I'm going to be there and go fast and break shit. So, like, well, there you go. There you go. There you go. So, uh, so it looks like Ted's coming down. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're going to <laughs> probably have, yeah, uh, and we're going to be having a couple of other seminars coming up uh, before the end of the year. We've got three handlers courses that we're actually going to be running um, for a couple of FEMA side handlers, and then as well as some of the state handlers in uh, Kansas and Oklahoma. So we're going to be running that through the end of the year, but we're also going to be having a couple of seminars, you know, and, and you hit on, on one thing that I kind of really want to push to everybody. I tell my handlers when they go out the door, I say, you know what? I said, I hope that you are never deployed. I hope you never go anywhere. I hope you sit at home and you don't do anything with your dog. But when you do, it's not, not if, it's when. When you do, I want you to be the best. I want you to go out there because, you know what? At the end of the day, it's kind of like you said, you know, can we put a price on human life? Um, and we can't, you know, so if it takes us building a $40 million facility to, to, you know, be able to turn out dogs and stuff like that, we're going to build it because we want to protect, you know, not just fire rescue, not just search and rescue, but anybody that, you know, that, uh, that wants to come and, and, and learn or whatever, you know, we want to, we want to make this place here. And, you know, coach and Becky have always been talking about the Oklahoma standard and we want to make sure that we maintain that Oklahoma standard here. Yeah, I like that. That's a good way to put that. Yeah. Yes. So give me the Facebook page name again real quick. Ground Zero Emergency Training Center. Ground Zero Emergency Training Center. Folks get on there on Facebook and check it out. That's where most people will go and find it. Um, Ted, where can you be found? Uh, On Facebook at Torchlight Canine, letter K, the number nine at Working Dog Radio, and at Working Dog Dry Goods, and all the same things on Instagram as well as Ted underscore Summers. What about you? Uh, I'm at Van S. Canine Academy on Facebook. Um, I'm Van S. Canine Daycare also on Facebook. I just put that up there with all the million oh, other yeah. things I have going on. And then um, most of my content's on Instagram, Van S. Canine uh, on Instagram, and, of course, uh, Working underscore Dog underscore Radio um, we're Ted and I are both on there, although we have no control over the content. No, you're not yeah. talking to us, right? No, that's the muzzle maven. So good luck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Daryl, this has been awesome. And, uh, it's a great interview. And it's one that we wanted to do forever, uh, because it's something that Eric and I know not a lot about. And, you know, there's a lot of things that our core guys that I deal with all the time that can learn or well should take away from this interview so i super appreciate it well guys we you know we really appreciate y'all reaching out to us and and you know uh giving us a just a few minutes to to talk about search and rescue we really you know y'all are awesome y'all are doing great things we appreciate it uh you know if there's anything that we can do for you guys or to help you guys out let us know you know that excellent we appreciate it we'll talk to you soon man i'm sure uh alicia will hit you up soon all right, guys, I appreciate All right. it. All right, thanks. Thanks, thanks. guys. Yeah. We'll see you. Bye. Bye. It's no secret that Eric and I are both professional trainers, meaning that we go through a lot of toys teaching dogs to find drugs, bombs, bugs, whatever. The problem always is durability 
or safety. When we get a dog that's a super hard biter and a chewer, we got to go with a harder toy, which tears up their teeth. Or we get a dog that goes with a softer toy, and we always have an issue with durability or safety, having them chew it up and swallow it. I think a good solution to that is check out the guys from USA-K9.com. USA Canine uses a natural rubber, which is much safer and environmentally friendly. Plus, they're also USA made and they're restringable, which is a huge deal for me since we use Dutch boxes. For every purchase you guys make using the discount code K9PRO, that's the letter K, the number 9, P-R-O, they're going to donate 10% of that sale so that we can give away some toys to deployed MWD teams across the world. Hit them up, usa k 9 Dot com. Use the discount code, the letter K, the number 9PRO. That's K9PRO. Working Dog Radio is edited and co-produced by Dustin Wright at Bracket Designs. Be sure to hit him up at bracketdesigns.com for any branding or content-related work you have. We were graciously granted permission to use this rad music by Brother Deeg. Go buy him a beer at Brother Deeg, spelled D-E-G-E dot blogspot dot com, spelled D-E-G-E, or hit him up on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, or any other music streaming stores. Check the show notes for links to both of these creative geniuses.